from Courtside of the Virtual Hardwood, it's the NLSC Podcast, episode number 362. Andrew with you once again, I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. My co-host and fellow NLSC team member is Derek, you know him as D 3 in the forum and D 384 on Twitter. Oh, happy to be here again. I did want to do a quick shout out for the NBA 2K19 roster mod real quick. The guys over there, uh, Stildo, um, Calvin Chan, Hornets on Fire, Peaceman Not, Lady Culture, uh, all those get sticky fingers. All those guys are working hard on that roster, and you peep uh, on those uh, retro uh, season rosters, and you guys are going to die of happiness when you actually get your hands on them. The, the amount of accuracy and attention to detail they're putting into these into these rosters are unbelievable. So if you have NBA 2K19 for the PC, uh, those rosters are must ha- are, are going to be must-haves for you. There's some great retro content coming out for those games, retro season rosters, as you say, all those ones for NBA 2K19. Uh, Lady, Lady Culture, of course, is working on that 2005 season roster for NBA 2K11, and also a 2005 season roster just came out for NBA 2K20 by, I believe, RMJH4. So a lot of attention on the 2005 season, actually, Derek. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I have absolutely no issues with uh, mid early 2000s roster mods it's i it's one of my favorite times in the nba i really nba i really enjoy the early mid 2000s obviously that season was the one that had an amazing finals matchup between the spurs and the pistons and if you have a chance go back and watch that series on youtube uh just the physicality was out of this world and those teams played so hard and it it was fun watching the spurs and pistons actually face off because they were two different styles completely uh and so yeah i i like these mid early 2000s ones the ones that i'm talking about with 2k19 just so people uh you know kind of get a further grasp of what i'm promoting here is they're doing sort of a ubr slash urb type roster where they're doing all of these single seasons and they have 1989 88 89 all the way up to 93 94 right now and then they're just touching up those seasons getting more faces in there and then they're going to continue backwards and forwards so pretty cool but yeah I, i have a lot of uh a lot of love for the early and mid 2000s absolutely and we're getting to that stage i think where those are suitably retro I mean, it's very much so. We're talking about 15, 16 years ago with these uh, with these rosters. But you, I, th- I think back to those early days of, of uh, big retro season rosters, and it was always mid-90s. And, of course, that is what is happening with, with uh, the 2K19 projects and the 80s, of course, late 80s. But we're getting to that point where we're seeing a lot of people who were kind of 11 or 12 around about that time, whereas we were already, you know... Uh, early 20s in some of those mid-2000s seasons. So while we have nostalgia for them as well, there's a lot of uh, modders, I think, that are a little bit younger than us, Derek, that have that, that they have the same kind of nostalgia for the mid-2000s that we had for perhaps the mid-90s. So we're seeing a lot of that nostalgia come back now and come to fruition with these mods, which is great. And of course, again, those, those 90s seasons mods are still out there as well, and I, I love to see all of them. And I, I love to see... Uh, I love to see releases out there that are are pretty much intact, but they're just being polished up after the fact. Uh, I have made the mistake with some of my mods over the years by trying to 
crammed too much into that version one to the point where they've it, <laughs> where they've just kind of never come out or they've just come out much later. And, and there's reasons for that, especially with the current rosters, because you would add say half the the new rookies and people would say, oh, you've forgotten, <laughs> you've forgotten to add them. No, as I said in the release notes, uh, I've just added, I'm adding them progressively. So that I, I think as a community, we need to be uh, accepting of those uh, beta releases and demo releases and realize that a version 1.0 could be 95% complete as far as having artwork and there's there's merit in in releasing projects that have just got those placeholders ready to be filled in by by version 1.5 or 2.0 or whatever uh, i mean release what you're comfortable with of course but you know if there's one bit of advice i can give to people making these big projects uh, if it is 90 95% complete don't be afraid to release a version 1.0 that's pretty good has most of the art in place with uh, but, but set it up to have those updates come because it's better than not getting the roster out at all uh, i can't agree with that enough i i made the mistake of doing that with uh my ultimate classic teams roster i think i waited a little bit too long before i released version one and then there was like a year between version one and version two and then there was another year another couple years up until version three and I kind of wish that I had released it early on so people could get, like, a demo version of it or at least get their hands on it earlier. Um, and I, I definitely think that I tried to put too much into it before, you know, getting out a release. I just wanted it to be perfect, basically. And I can tell you that v- V3 is way better than V1. Um, so I did improve on it. But, yeah, I think I waited too long. But, yeah, as far as, like, people now the younger crowd now what they're nostalgic about is like the mid late 2000s and that's why you know you see rosters that are coming out like oh nine ten seasons like um shuajota was doing one um thunder shack you know those guys are doing seasons that go like oh six oh seven oh seven oh eight oh eight oh nine oh nine ten i've seen some 11 12 or 12 13 rosters out there at times too or at least people working on them or in the shared um shared space if the game is still online etc so yeah it's um you know our nostalgia is probably a little bit more further back but for these kids today that's it you know that's something that i think about with my Wayback wednesday and the great thing about Wayback wednesday of course is that eventually everything becomes retro right so at, at this point i am able to talk about 2k14 2k15 because we are talking about things that were five six seven eight years ago so it's old enough it's I mean, look, Wayback Wednesday, I could do something from last year, I suppose, or I could look back at an article from a year ago and reflect on if I was right or wrong or things like that. I'd leave myself open to do all kinds of things with Wayback Wednesday, although I do focus on games. It is meant to also look back at past articles and things from our community, so I could theoretically do it. But that, that, And obviously I've covered a lot of games from back in the day at this point as well, but it is getting to that point where now a... a a retrospective of 2K12 is suddenly more relevant than it was when I was when I started way back Wednesday when I started doing that feature what, five six years ago now when it was it was a bit too new at that time so it, so it, time marches on everything becomes retro and and nostalgic over the time and and definitely that uh, that that period of the NBA is becoming nostalgic to a lot of people that are a little bit younger than us the one other thing I wanted to put out there for uh, for roster mods especially for older games is that. It's okay, again, it is okay to be 90-95% complete as far as artwork goes, have a few placeholders. I, th- I think people understand, especially if you can leave the door open to have a, a later release, 
if you have a few placeholder faces, if uh, if the jersey is not not entirely right, if it's let's say that it's it's a minor difference because some some teams, as you know, Derek, updated their jerseys very slightly year to year, but it's still pretty much the same. If it's if it's the same kind of one, even even if it's just a year out of date, but you, that it's just a placeholder, it's just a retro jersey there to be replaced in a future update. Don't be afraid to do that. Just just make sure you mention it in the notes that it is a placeholder. It's being done for for that reason because you were waiting for it, or it's it's there's nothing better available at this time. Don't don't hold back great releases. I think is my message, just because of some minor details that can be updated later. People will enjoy the content. Yeah, as long That's as the, the as long as the roster itself is solid, the ratings and everything, the plays you've created, if if it performs well in gameplay, if a majority of the artwork is done. I think as we look to do some projects for older games, it's it's definitely important that we do remember that we can that we can fudge it like that, that 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 we can make allowances and and do the best but do the best job possible because again you can always do that version 2.0 whatever 3 and 4 and 5 or 1.5 and what whatever however you're doing your version updates basically you can have that later release that will add those features possibly you can or you can at least leave the door open for it. So that's that's basically my modding advice for this week. No, I agree 100%. I did want to point something out, though, because you were talking about what kids are getting get nostalgic, um, nostalgic for over, and this is just wild to me. Um, you know, it has now been seven over seven years since NBA 2K14 was released for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. That means a kid who was 12 years old when that game was released is now 19. Oh, yeah. yeah. And about that is wild so that kid went from being preteen to adult since 2k14 so you and i don't look back with like nostalgia or like crazy nostalgia on a game like 2k14 but these kids can look back on that and be like man i miss those days yeah you know what i mean absolutely yeah is 2k14 looks great right um and in my opinion it also plays great so it's yeah it's just crazy to me to think about I mean, in this week's mailbag, we're going to be talking about the the new Space Jam movie. Obviously, you and I were what eleven, twelve when uh, when that came out in nineteen ninety six or late nineteen ninety six when the first Space Jam came out. I'll be covering the Space Jam video game in next week's Wayback Wednesday. Speaking of Wayback Wednesday, and it's in the in the mailbag this week. Uh, I, I mentioned in that article that uh, it's ready to go next week. That it's that it's trying to it's hard to get my head around the idea that it's twenty three years appropriately enough uh, since the Bulls' last championship. You know, and and what eighteen years coming up in eighteen years since uh, since Michael Jordan retired. Like there are people that are going to be just graduating high school who weren't born when uh, when Michael Jordan last played. So yeah, it's it's one of those time marches on things that uh, makes us feel like uh, like grumpy old men. And sometimes maybe you might think some of our uh, opinions are grumpy old men. Sometimes I feel that way, Derek. But uh, yeah, uh, time marches on. Yeah, unfortunately, you didn't get a championship from Tyson Chandler or, and- or Andreas Nocioni. Um, that would have been nice. Yes. You, know, you being a Chicago fan and and whatnot. No, it is it is crazy. Um, I think the I think it's kind of silly that they're remaking a movie that that seems like a movie that should just be a one and done, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, time marches on. It, it's wild to me that even you know Jordan's last game was played you know, close to 18 years ago now, you know, with the Wizards, so. No, absolutely, yeah, it's, uh, because these things, again, you think, oh, that was just, what, 10 years ago, or, or whatever, or even maybe 15, but now it's, you know, it's over that, 
So it's, it is kind of crazy, but uh, that is the way time works, I suppose. And uh, with that being said, we will get into this week's show. Uh, we're going to actually repurpose a, a mailbag suggestion for this week's main discussion topic. Uh, thank you to Lady Culture, of course, who is working on those roster mods uh, for this question. The, the best and worst shooting mechanics, obviously a very important part of basketball gaming and a, a core mechanic that's undergone some some really interesting changes and evolution over the years. And we've seen some games approach it with very... Uh, very badly for being such a core aspect of a basketball game, how to shoot the basketball. Uh, before we get into that, though, and of course the mailbag later in the show, just want to touch on some news very quickly this week. Uh, new patches have come through for both the current-gen and next-gen versions of NBA 2K21. The next-gen patch, as you might expect, Eric, is far more substantial. 24 likeness updates, although I believe it's 24 likeness updates in the current-gen version as well. Um, names include Lamelo Ball... Uh, Ili Okobo, Zylan Cheatham, Brandon Clark, Troy Daniels, DeAndre Hunter, Jaron Jackson Jr. to mention just a few. Only one real gameplay change, which is uh, in the current gen, rather the next gen version, uh, reducing the effectiveness of fading three pointers off the dribble. A few people have mentioned that it's still an issue online, so it hasn't really addressed the, the issue, unfortunately. In current gen, 2K Beach has been updated with Lunar New Year decorations. It was the New Year decorations before, and still that Christmas hangover in the uh, in the menus so some cosmetic updates there and a, a couple of gameplay really only one gameplay tweak in next gen and some other uh, technical fixes and whatnot I, I think at this point Derek, the games we have are pretty much the games we're going to have until 2k22 comes out yeah that's usually when it happens i mean the, i was thinking back to nba 2k17 and i think that the last set of patches came through on 2k19 uh i want to say in january i mean excuse me on 2k17 i think i want to say it was in january or something like that so yeah, I mean, they're due to stop them. I, I do remember watching that video that you sh- um, that you were talking about of people shooting, like, fadeaway threes from, like, close to half court. Yep. I think it was you that posted or something like that. So I know that that's been a problem and, you know, kind of a exploit with the shooting and whatnot and with the mechanics on NBA 2K21 for a while. So I guess kind of appropriate that we have the <laughs> adjustment to shooting, no matter how effective or ineffective it may be, as we are going to talk about shooting this week. And, and, and you know, of course, NBA 2K21 has introduced those new shooting mechanics or altered shooting mechanics, Derek, the the way they changed the, the meter and the, and the stick aiming this year, which has been a hit and miss, uh, no pun intended, with gamers as far as whether they like that method. Uh, it, it certainly feels very contrived on, on layups. We've talked about that before. But, but yeah, over the years, uh, trying to represent shooting the basketball, and, and the big thing that I have with shooting in old games, Derek, is that it, that it is so dependent on the dice roll. Obviously, we have ways of maximizing that dice roll with the ideal release point. Releasing at the top of your uh, jump shot was the big, uh, the big tip back in the day, and we've seen games uh, experiment with those styles. But the big thing I notice whenever I do go back to old games, and like you, I do go, go back to some pretty old games, especially for Wayback Wednesday or, or simply for my own enjoyment, but the thing that you always see in those old games, Derek, especially especially before the 2000s and the 2010s, but uh, you know, we, we, when you go back far enough, it's it's even worse, is that jump shots never feel as as effective as they should be, which is why in a lot of old games, it, it was it's almost like a precursor to the whole uh, analytics revolution. You either took the three-pointer because you wanted the extra points, or you drove it in for the dunk or layup. You didn't want to take that that kind of that 12 to 18 foot jump shot because jump shots just weren't effective enough in old games 
So I mean, you would try, and you certainly would take them from time to time. But it was it wasn't always a good idea because the mechanics just didn't let you hit jump shots the way players did in reality. So you wouldn't take the risk. So it's kind of trained people, I think, tra- trained a lot of basketball gamers back in the day to either take the three or try and drive in for a dunk or layup if you wanted to score. <laughs> so getting the shooting mechanics right has been a an ongoing process for basketball gaming. And it is something that, that I do think, you know, we often talk about how basketball gaming has issues these days, and it certainly does. But if there's one thing that I think has really improved throughout the years, it is the ability to shoot the basketball from anywhere on the court. Hey, we're actually going to agree disagree a little bit on this. Um, I I do agree that obviously there's advance, advancements to the shooting compared to older games, um, particularly uh, in how the the many options you have to shoot, whether it be um, you know how it feels to shoot on the move, being able to shoot on the move, um, how you can shoot your fadeaways, how you can come to a full stop, throw an up fake, and then shoot a fadeaway, which really got um, implemented in like 2k8 excuse me 2k19 etc and i do it all the time um when they introduced protected shots in 2k16 i want to say it was and then it was also in 2k17 and you're talking about how that you know that mid-range that thing where you get into that mid-range and like the game you like you're almost discouraged from shooting it well i got that feeling with 2k16 and 2k17 big time because when you got into the mid-range into the seams and you wanted to do a quick pull-up and if there was a defender within three feet of you the game would force you to shoot a fadeaway and your percentage would drop dramatically um it was and it was you know called a protected shot so a shot that an nba player can shoot on an underside like with a height advantage or without one but even with a height advantage say you have Dirk Nowitzki and Eric Gordon is under you the game will still make you fade on that shot and your percentage goes widely down even though Dirk Nowitzki can just shoot it over Eric Gordon oh for sure yeah yeah. I I I think that's an example of how the mechanics they have they have introduced bad mechanics as well over the years don't get me wrong and 2K21 would be another example where they've experimented with it with the shot stick uh, aiming, with the pro stick aiming, and it hasn't panned out as well as I would have liked it to. So I, I definitely agree that, that there have been missteps along the way. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I do agree with you that back at the time, it almost felt, and I think what also contributed to that was the frantic pace of some of the older NBA Live games as well. True. Um, but, you know, you did feel like you could... It was definitely a faster-paced three-point to three-point line. Uh, you know, you shoot a three or you go in for a dunk type atmosphere, which is really funny because that's kind of what the NBA is now in yeah, real life. It, it kind of predicted it in a way. Right, it kind of did, especially with those old NBA Live games with like Live 2004, Live 2003, etc. Um, but with shooting mechanics, I, I, I don't like them in 2K21 as much as I did in like 2K17, 2K16, other than the fact that they at least did pretty much get rid of the protected shots. My biggest problem with 2K21 shooting is it does still feel at times like shots are rushed. Like it's not like the release point doesn't feel because I always use user timing that it feels like it's harder to find. But the shots on the move, like I've told you several times where they kick their legs wildly and whatnot when you're trying to like just do a quick pull up um, or it will make you fade to the side, etc. when you're just trying to pull, do a quick pull up, etc. that. I think they went backwards on. Like when I play games like uh, like 2K19, 2K17, 2K16, I just feel like the shots on the move make a lot more sense 
being able to stop on a dime makes a lot more sense. You're not you're not put into animations that you didn't choose to go into. Um, you have more control. So while they could they could have made you know some improvements in different areas over some of the recent 2Ks, I think that the shooting has gone backwards from 2K17 and 2K16, 2K15. They have. They have, as they've tried to get that skill gap in there for the online play. And funnily enough, to that point, the latest patch, that, as we mentioned, a couple of patches came through this week for current gen and next gen. The current gen patch actually removes the uh, the rumble from online play, so you no longer get that cue, which, which I think was a bad move. To, not to go back in the discussion to the uh, too much to that patch, but the problem with online play is even if you use a meter, and a lot of people do use the meter online because the lag, so it, it does help. But even with the meter, with the lag, it's it's not the best visual cue. You've got to look at the at the animation, which which is which makes sense. But you also have that sensory cue of the rumble to know that you're coming up on the the ideal release point. So I, I assume they removed that because of, of cheating. Maybe it was part of the whole modded controllers controversy. But I, th- I do think that's a misstep again, because that was very important. If 2K didn't have that problem with lag, it wouldn't be... I wouldn't think it was so much of a problem, but they removed one of the important cues. So I think that was a mistake. And, and to that point, as you said, they do make missteps. They do make these changes that, that don't pan out. They're doing it... They're trying to make a better game. That's, that's one thing I want to emphasize when we, when we say that they're, they're not good changes. It's not that they're trying to make a worse game. It's just they think it's a good idea that doesn't pan out. We've seen this happen before. We've seen it with NBA Live separating the shoot uh, controls, shooting controls into dunk layup and the shoot button back in the day. And then in Live 07, they had dunk layup and shoot, which was definitely overkill. Uh, multiple pass buttons has worked out much better than multiple shoot buttons. We've seen them use different pro stick moves, right stick uh, shooting in both Live and 2K in recent years. But they're going to the very core mechanics, the very basic mechanics of how to hit a jump shot. It has come down over the years to that dice roll based on player abilities, their attributes, ratings, whatever you want to call them. Uh, there's usually been, as we said, the, the the method was always back in the day, release at the top of the jump shot. And what used to get me in those games, Derek, is that I, I would do that. And you everything you'd feel like you've done everything right. You've released it at the top of the shot. You see the top of the jump, rather. You see the shot go in. So you do it again, and you do it again. And you, you have the same release so many times but because of the dice roll, sometimes that's the way the dice lands, the way the odds work, that you can shoot it and do what was supposedly the proper way of shooting time after time, but you wouldn't make the shot. And it wasn't really until, as controversial as they've been, that they've introduced things like green releases or NBA Live 16's percentages on the ideal release point that it, it really it really improved shooting, I feel, to the point of knowing that the result felt like that you were getting a good result based on your input. Because back in the day, you could hit uh, excellent release after excellent release, even up until 2K14, and miss 10, 15 shots in a row. You're there in practice, wide open, perfect release, perfect release, perfect release, and it's missing. And you kind of wonder, what, what am I doing wrong? And that was the problem with a lot of early jump shot mechanics, I feel, Derek, is that the input to result uh, ratio, if you will, just didn't feel right. Yeah, either that or it was overpowering, where mm. you were making too much. Like, the finding the right balance. Like, I, I want to say that Live 2004 has an imbalance where you, it didn't feel really too much like it mattered when you released it all. Um, and you could go, like, 14 for 14 from the three-point line with somebody 
etc you know on on a game like lab 2004 i think that's the opposite of that example you used with 2k14 i think that um i think the thing with with the shooting is if you're doing everything right and you've mastered somebody's shot you still can't expect to hit every shot <laughs> because mm. that's not bad that's not the way basketball works right like there's no way and if you can get a green release every time i've never been able to get a green release every single time ever like with like i've just never been able to do it if you can get a green release ever every single time then what happens is is the game is flawed mechanically and you shouldn't be able to do that agreed i really yeah. don't it needs to be it needs to not be attainable as an every time thing and i'll never forget though and this is the biggest part about shooting is and we're talking about mechanics i'll never forget the game you and i played against each other online and i keep watching you because i can see your meter um i i played without the meter you know i, I i'm watching you shoot with the meter and you're getting the cursor right in the middle of the green area and you're bricking and then you're hitting outside of the green area Yes, And that's why I argued so much. That's why I argued so much with NBA 2K21 shooting mechanics. Because people were saying, oh, skill gap and everything. No, that's not skill gap. That's a mechanical flaw. If you're hitting shots outside of the green zone and missing shots constantly inside of the green zone on outside shots, um, post shots um, at the rim, that means that it's more of a random result. And it's not a consistent, a consistent type of mechanic or anything like that. So, yeah, that was my biggest problem. Listen, you can talk about, you know, oh, well, this is when you should release it and all of that stuff. But if the mechanics don't cooperate, like if they're not sound, you know, if the engine is not sound by default in that, with that mechanic, then, yeah, then, then it, it doesn't really make much sense. And like we talked about, it can cause more frustration than anything. I've always played without, I've always, I've always played without the meter on. I, I play with the meter off. My brothers play with the meter off. We think it's a huge distraction. Um, we, th- we, we don't want to be shooting and looking at a player's feet or shooting and looking behind the player. We want to be able to just focus on the shot, focus on the defense, um, you know, where we are on the court, etc. That's why we use user timing with the meter off. Of course. Uh, but, of course, the underlying mechanics as far as timing and everything are the same, meter on or off. Well, although there is a slight boost if you don't have the meter on in 2K21. So there are, there are mechanics like that, but the underlying mechanics of timing and, and how they work are the same. And, and to that point, you look at a game like 2K18, where it had the, the, the full white releases. The good releases were actually a nerfed perfect release, so they had a 5% chance, whereas the late release and early releases had a higher chance. So technically, what's, what seemed like a better release, a closer to perfect release, a, a good release was actually worse than being early or late. And and people would, would defend it and say, oh, you don't get it. No, I, I definitely get it. But conceptually, saying that a good release has less chance than a an early or late release than going in, the nomenclature doesn't work. The idea that being closer to perfect is actually less desirable than being early or late. Of course, you do still get green releases, so it's best to aim for it. But still, that nerfed 5% chance of going in on a, a full white... Uh, full whites are still an issue with the with this shooting method that 2K has, and and green releases obviously have their own problems. Like you say, if you, if it's too easy to get green release every time, then you're not going to shoot a realistic percentage. But then if it's nerfed artificially, that feels uh, no that 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 doesn't feel right either. And it, you you, t- you brought up a great point there. 
and uh, about expecting those results because as basketball as, as gamers not just basketball games but as gamers in general we expect that correct input equals success and if you look at a game like let's let's say super mario brothers a classic platform game Derek, if you uh, if your input is correct you can fly through that game speed run that game if you if you're jumping at the right times if all of your button presses your inputs are accurate then the, the, the best speedrunners out there will just be able to fly through that game and, and dodge all the enemies and finish the, the levels in record time because of their correct input. Correct input equals success. But of course, if you're trying to replicate basketball, as you brought up, in basketball it doesn't always work out that way. You can, you can run a play and, it, and the defense can interrupt it. You can run a play to perfection but still miss the shot. A, a wide-open shot with a good shooter, we'll see that in, happen in real life because no one shoots 100%. So... There should be that there is random results in basketball, or you can do the right thing but still come up short, still fail, and and that goes against the whole gamer mentality of, as I said, correct input equals success. But there are times in basketball, that, in, in basketball video games, to replicate the real sport, that, that that doing something correctly can still not have the right result, and it's frustrating because although it's realistic and although we want realism, uh, most of us, many of us, it, it that goes against the, the mentality of playing the game playing a video game right and i'm okay with a perfect release point i really am like i'm, I'm okay with a perfect release point i'm per I'm, I'm okay with you know i play with the meter off but with like green releases where you know you release it and it's going to go in um either 100 percent of the time or the vast majority of the time but that green release needs to be really hard to attain mm. Like, it's not something that somebody should be able to exploit and just do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, the other factor into that people need to realize with green releases, you know, people that have said, oh, well, yeah, I, I don't do the user timing because it's too easy. Um, first off, you know, if you're playing on the higher difficulties, the, 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 the chances of you getting a green release, even if you've mastered the player's shot, is, are really tough. And if they're ratings, like you had stated before, if they if it's um, dependent on ratings and whatnot, go go try to step out behind the three point line on um, Hall of Fame with Hassan Whiteside and smoke a bunch of threes. On user timing, you're not going to be able to do it. But also, defense does factor in to that. You know, you being able to get a green release, and green releases aren't even possible when defense is smothering you or your player is like really close to you and that meter gets so small that it's almost, it is an incredibly low percentage shot, whether you're, um, if you're on user timing. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it should be attainable. Uh, like a, like a, like I, I, I'm not saying that I'm not for green releases, but it has to be balanced the right way. I get more mad when I see you making layups and outside shots when you're outside of the meter and then when you're inside of the meter like right in the middle basically you're bricking like i that that makes me more frustrated than anything like i can deal with having no green releases in a game and as long as the mechanics are sound but when that was happening so often in that game we were playing and i'm sure it's still a problem today that that's what frustrates me more well, it's just like the old days where you feel like you're doing everything right or, or close to right, but you get you're not getting the results. Yeah, exactly, and that's frustrating for any gamer. I've I've said this, you know, since the first time we you know did a show together. the The biggest thing that people want is to feel in control. They want to be able to feel in control of their player. 
their team, you know, be in control of the action. You know, like you said, you know, if you push the correct input, you want to be rewarded for that and you expect to be rewarded. So, you know, we've talked about this with NBA Live and their issues in the past of being dragged in from 18 feet out when you try to shoot a jump shot. And this was a problem with NBA Live 18 and it happened at times quite a bit with NBA Live 19 as well where, you know, you you go in and you try to stop and you shoot a shot from 18 feet and the game drags you into this wild layup, that's an automatic frustration because you don't have control, right? So those mechanics are not working the way that they should and that's the problem. So this was also a problem with games like NBA 2K9 and 2K10 where you would try everything you could to do a pull-up, like you just try to dribble in and do a pull-up, and you get dragged into the hoop. So, yeah, I agree. I think control is the most important thing, uh, especially in a sports game with so much going on and whatnot. And so, yeah, it, it's just wild that it, it's wild that some of these mechanics, in my opinion, even get into the production, into the final release with all the testing they probably do with these games. We, we've seen, with, especially in recent years with 2K, a, a new motion system comes in and, and kind of messes things up. Yeah, I mean, we had the yep, we had the 2K18 motion system. Like right away, one of the things my brothers and I noticed with 2K18 is how all of the shots felt rushed. Right, then players were also going in like you you drive try to drive for a layup, and you'd push a shoot button, and it would put you into this. And I think I showed video of this at one point. You would put you into this wild one-handing one-handed like floater runner type shot that looks completely unnatural and they would miss the majority of the time and that's not what you intended to do and it's not something that was happening in 2k17 2k16 2k15 2k14 as part of the a part of the old motion system so yeah when they move on to new motion systems and they try new things stuff like that happens and what's funny is is they definitely changed stuff about the motion system from 2k19 to 2k20 and unfortunately, what happened with that, like, go ahead and go back and play those games. There's not a lot of similarities um, as far as, like, the player movement goes. You know, what happened with that is all of a sudden with 2K20, you had these players running hunched over um, completely unnaturally. You had um, even a little bit more skating at times in NBA 2K20 than NBA 2K19. Uh, the players felt heavier in 2K20. The moves don't feel as reactive, in my opinion. Um, as well so like those like you said when you change the motion system it impacts a whole lot of things and just shooting is just one of them 2k18 in in general felt very frenetic its pace (laughs) i felt that when i went back to 18 after playing 19 it was it was just a very uh very very quick game (laughs) very quickly paced game the movement and uh, lots of other issues with 2K18, as we discussed before. You know, we have talked about Live 19 shooting, how we felt that it was broken by the last few patches, or the last patch that came through. The big thing with Live 19, uh, as it as it uh, pertains to green releases, is that li- Live 19 shooting was very reliant on getting greens to make shots, and the last patch changed the defense, made it a bit easier for the defense to take away that green release. And it, what, what broke it for me is that the CPU is very adept at sticking with its man. And so it would come in and it would close the gap enough to take away the green release. And because you need to get a green release, then you don't shoot, the, you don't shoot as well as you should because you never have that green release available to you. 
And the other thing with Live 19, and we have touched on this before as well, and, and this is also what's so important with the mechanics as far as uh, timing, whether you have a meter on or off, is that the, the, to get to that ideal release point, to get the green release point in Live 19 at the top of the meter as it is, that's a very long meter. It's a very long wind-up in the timing. So that's why the, def- uh, why the uh, defense was able to close out so easily, especially the CPU with the way it could stick to its man is that it had such a long wind-up on the timing. 2Ks is much quicker, it's much better in that regard. So it's so important, though, to have that timing not be too short, not to be too long, especially if you are very reliant on having that perfect release or near-perfect release or in the green zone or whatever to be able to make shots. If if it's too much of a wind-up, if, if that meter is too long, if the timing is... Uh, you have to hold that shoot button too long, because the, and that has been the... Uh, the traditional method to hold and release a shoot button in most games that is the ideal way and I'll get get into some bad ways of uh, shooting the basketball uh, in, a, in a moment but that's the big thing with Live 19 and other games that have done similar things to that is to get to to be able to shoot that the, the timing is just so off because of a long wind up or, or or to get that release point it's taken away too easily or too dependent on getting close to perfect and if it's not close to perfect you just don't make it at all like you say not making shots that are in that good zone, but then making them when they're really late, really early or late, and they're outside that supposed make zone. When those mechanics are broken, shooting, and especially since they've added uh, in 2K added timing to to layups as well now, you just you just feel like you're doing everything right and not being rewarded, and then getting rewarded for doing something wrong, and it, it just. You, you when you succeed, you feel like I, I didn't really do that, and when you fail, you think, well, I did everything I was supposed to. So it really does come down to, to having that right, rewarding the timing on a, on a scale. I think of, of how early or late it is, and having that ideal point, not being too reliant on that ideal point, not having not making it too long to get to that ideal point. So all those underlying mechanics, and of course, uh, not dragging the plays into animations. All those mechanics. If 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 there's just something wrong at at, at any at any point of those shooting mechanics, Derek then shooting can just not feel right. Even if everything else is right, it's just... And that's what some people don't, I think, when they're reviewing basketball games and looking at these mechanics and saying, oh, it's you're complaining or you're not good, get good, whatever, they're not looking at the intricacies of all these systems in those core mechanics that if there's just one part of it it doesn't work properly, it's a chain reaction and it kind of ruins the whole shooting mechanics. Right, exactly. Don't don't talk to me about skill gap if the shooting itself with shooting if the shooting itself is mechanically faulty. I did want to bring up a couple points. Um, go back at any point if you have a chance if you own the games. Go back and play NBA 06, 07, 08, and 09. And I think they did an amazing job with the shot meter in those games. Now, remember, I usually play with it off, but I, I've messed with those games recently and everything. And like you said, you know, you need the right, it can't, it can't be too slow on the meter. It can't be too, uh, it can't be too fast, etc. It has to have to, ha, has to have the right balance. And I think that they, that NBA um, 06 through 09 series of games, I think they did a really good job with the shot meter and finding that right balance uh, the other thing, too, I wanted to point out as far as a, a, a benefit of NBA 2K21 and NBA 2K20 um, and whatnot is they did get rid of the protected shots that I was speaking of earlier as far as the game forcing you into a protected animation if a player is within three feet. Even if they don't have their arms up, it was making you forced to like do a fadeaway. 
Uh, and the reason why protected shots, I hope they never bring them back, and why they're a nightmare, is not only because it was faulty to begin with, because if you're, the player is three feet away from you, you can still like keep your form. Even if they're draped on you and you have a height advantage, you can shoot over them. Um, it's because when you, you know, when protected shots were in the game and you were just trying to do like a routine swing for a quick three in the corner, you could swing the ball to the corner and you could have perfect amount of space to shoot. And you literally would go up for a shot and it would force you to fade away and your percentage of hitting that would drop to almost zero. Yep. Have so, way too much online. It, it was so cheesy. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, so, again good we don't always we don't always bash games like like that was an amazing thing that they did by getting rid of that i think they recognized that it didn't make any sense maybe they heard some of the complaints from the community and whatnot and they got rid of protected shots they still need to absolutely fix shots on the move um i think that they're unrealistic they're also very generic for each player uh they the players' legs don't move that way in the air, <laughs> like the way they look in the game, etc. And it seems like there's a little bit of a lack of control in that regard. So I, I still think that they can get better as far as like shots on the move go. As far as meters and timing, what are your thoughts on NBA Live 16? That's the one with the uh, it had the meter. It was the first year they had a meter in NBA Live uh, 16. And it was released at the top. That was the ideal release point. But that simply maximized your ability on the dice roll according to attributes. So and it, would, it would show the percentage. It would show the percentage of, of how good the shot was and the likelihood of making it and whatnot. It actually, I find it works out pretty well for both contested shots and wide open shots. Uh, when I went back and played Live 16 for the 25th anniversary of NBA Live uh, retrospectives that I finished up last year, uh, I forgot how much I really enjoyed Live 16, even though it doesn't have the green release perfect makes. Uh, guaranteed buckets with that uh, ideal release point, having that ideal release point, simply maximizing it and knowing that uh, ideal release point and, ma- and maximizing the ability to make the shot, it actually works out pretty well. I, I like the Live 16 approach. It's if you don't, if you were ever to get rid of green releases, and, and unfortunately I don't think you ever really can because we're we're too reliant on them now. But if you did, I actually think the Live 16's mechanics uh, they work. I overall like live. You saw me. I uploaded a video on YouTube recently of me playing live. I was using the Blazers with Lillard and whatnot. Um, I actually like the shooting overall in NBA Live 16. I The shooting, as far as, like you said, when you shoot, it shows, like, the percentage chance that you have um, of it going in. And I think it's it's based on the player shooting percentage that year and maybe possibly a little bit elevated if you're completely wide open. Um, it reminds me of the NBA playground shooting actually. Mm. Yeah. Uh, where it, when you get it in the, in the right spot on the meter, it gives you, let's say Paul George was a 36% three point shooter. And the one that you're using, you know, based on the Paul George that you're using, it would give you a 36% um, chance of hitting it if you're wide open or something like that. So, I think that, like you said, if they were to get rid of green releases altogether, I think that the the shooting in NBA Live 16 does make sense. Um, You feel this sense of reward when you see those percentages, and it's at at the optimal percentage. Like, you feel a sense of, you know, I have a better chance of hitting this. This is a good shot. Um, and then, you know, if you have defense in your vicinity, that percentage drops and you're like, oh, you know what? I need to do better next time because that's a lower percentage shot. And I can see, you know, how low that percentage would be, you know, if I took that shot again. So, no, I, I like NBA Live 16 shooting overall. I hate NBA Live 16's post game. 
Yes, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty ordinary. It's really, yeah, it's not just, it's it's clunky. It's it's or, it's or it's clunky, there's not a lot of options. It's robotic. Um, you know, uh, the moves around the rim feel very random, like you don't have any control, etc. on NBA Live 16. I don't remember if there's timing on layups. On live sixteen. I know there is not. There is not. Only two K. Um, only two K and two K and playgrounds have done that timing on layups. Re- right. Recently, and anyway. I think, I think timing should exist on layups. So, yeah, there's not. There's definitely issues with live sixteen. But again, yes, I like the shooting overall. Uh, I should clarify when I use the word ordinary there. Uh, that is the uh, Australian uh, secondary. Um, meeting of ordinary, which is uh, kind of like when you talk about going out for and having a big night out on the town and uh, and having a bit too much to drink, and you pull up the next day, think, "Oh, I felt very ordinary." We use it kind of in a negative sense. Um, yeah, that's that's very much an Australianism. So I uh, apologize for misleading you on that one, but uh, that yeah, is... that's not the, that, yeah, that's not misleading for me because when you say ordinary, what I what I would say is um, typical, right? Well, that's that, 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 that is that is the primary definition of of ordinary. Yes, but we do have a secondary. Uh, uh, negative use of it in, in Australia, so yeah, just in case anyone was wondering. But um, as as far as the that the input mechanics, the, as I said, the standard is hold the shoot button, release it at the ideal point or as close to the ideal point as possible. That is that has become the standard for basketball games. But over the years, we have seen some very some variations on that. Not not huge variations, but but just some variations of that are a bit more contrived. So I wanted to talk about some of the worst. Uh, options uh, worst implementation of shooting there uh nba all-star challenge for super nintendo derek uh pushing the shoot button once and pressing it again instead of holding it and releasing it pushing it twice the double press i've never been a fan of that my thing with nba all-star challenge is there's no consistency and uh, <laughs> yeah, there were there, were there was there was ways where we got really good at it. We played it a lot and you could hit basically every three point shot on the three point shootout um, by you, you could get used to the release point, but it just felt ridiculous to have to push it once and then push it again at the top of the jump. And it just felt wildly inconsistent overall. There's other games that have tried that too, with a double shot, the double hit of the button in order to to shoot and i don't think that it's a bad idea i don't think it's a bad idea if they can make it mechanically sound in fact i think that it can be engaging for the player right like i think it can it can add an element to shooting but that that otherwise isn't there but is it necessary and can it be implemented right? I don't think... I, I, I don't know. I, I, NBA All-Star Challenge is a very strange... It's one of my favorite childhood games, but it's a very strange game. Like, as far as mechanically and whatnot. The other thing that it really bothered me about NBA All-Star Challenge is not only was the shooting unforgiving, but the amount of air balls you shot, mm. if you were off at all it was either it's either a swish or an air ball yeah that's it no in between yeah (laughs) so you're out there with two of the greatest players of all time michael jordan and larry bird and you're you're shooting air balls over and over and over again and it's like this takes away from the immersion i I this probably could be a way of doing it properly uh or doing it well with the double press uh, I think it's more contrived than hold and release, or maybe it's just because that has become the standard. And it's one—it's one of those things where when something becomes the standard, 
anything that deviates from it has to do it, as you say, particularly well to to stand out. But it it just doesn't seem like the uh, the way to go. What, what what really isn't the way to go is when you have to press two different buttons to take a jump shot. And I am of course talking about the uh, the that amazing game. Uh, kids sports basketball i talked about this before on the podcast i I did a way back wednesday on it it is a a shovelware game that uh that uh from from a developer whose name is escaping me at the moment that has basically made a bunch of these shovelware kids sports games and to do that game derek if you just press shoot you just put up a set shot from wherever wherever you are on the court to do a jump shot you have to press the jump button the dedicated jump button and then press the shoot button and they are next to each other on on the controller so it's not too bad i mean you're not moving your thumb around that much but the fact that you have to press jump and then at the right time press shoot to take a jump shot instead of either just holding it it, i mean pressing the one shoot button twice is much better than that but that in kids sports basketball that is my pick for the worst shooting mechanics i've ever had this pleasure of experiencing in a basketball game it's overcomplicating it yeah there's no reason for that i mean (laughs) for a basic move for a basic uh, action in basketball. Also, think about the game itself. Like, why are they trying to put in this, like, ridiculously difficult mechanic into a game, a, a kid basketball game? Oh, that, that, right. is, that, that is my main problem with that game. Is It is incredibly hard. It is supposed to be for kids, but it is incredibly hard and contrived. Yeah. I did want to bring this up, too, because we're talking about shooting. I think this is one of the most important things to talk about when you talk about shooting mechanics. Uh, not to change the subject really quick, but... Tell me how you utilize the joystick in shooting and how you feel about the mechanics working from a joystick standpoint as opposed to the shoot button. So so I guess I'll put it this way. How do you normally do it? How often do you use the stick? And how often would you – and how do you feel the stick um, accuracy feels and how, how do you feel like those mechanics work? It's, it's funny because I used to be shoot button only. Then around 2K17 to 19, I, I got into the habit of, of shooting a lot with the stick, uh, especially because, of course, you can do more with the stick as it, when you're uh, driving in the paint, when you want to put up floaters or, or uh, select a particular dunk using the pro stick uh, in a certain direction. So I then became a very hybrid uh, user as far as the, the button and the stick. With 2K21 bringing the stick aiming back as it was, I have pretty much abandoned the stick except for... Uh, except for maybe picking the dunk I want to do. I've become very button-reliant again as of 2K21 because I don't like the, the stick aiming in 2K21. But from from 2K17 through to about uh, 1920, uh, I was actually using kind of a combination of the two. Uh, sometimes I felt that the stick was easier to time online. Uh, it may have just been uh, psychological, I'm not sure, uh, because I was playing with the meter, so I wasn't getting a boost for not playing with the meter at all. But but yeah, I was a hybrid. But uh, But how about you? Uh, so I'm still a hybrid, um, and my reliance on the shoot button has changed in only uh, one way to be more reliant on the shoot button in the most recent game, so I'll try to explain that. So I, on jump shots, I use the shoot button. I think it makes the most sense. Um, it, you know, from a timing standpoint and whatnot, it feels more natural using the, the shoot button just on regular shots. If I'm in the post... Uh, and I want to execute a fadeaway or a shimmy or anything like that, I'm almost always using the stick. 
like almost pointing it away from the basket. If I want to do a move going to the basket, I'll flick the stick a certain way. Um, you know, if I want to, you know, try to execute a strong move, I'll push it towards the basket. When I'm in the post, I'll use the joystick. So in the post, mostly I'm using the stick on shooting. I'm using the button. Um, and that's shooting on the move as well. I'm using the button. Makes sense. Yeah. My biggest problem with going to the hoop is the stick doesn't work the sound way that it would, that it did on NBA 2K17 where you could easily dr- you know, drive to the hoop and choose to finish on the left side of the rim, choose on the right, choose to shoot on the right side of the rim by flicking it a certain way. If you're going baseline, pushing it towards the baseline in order to do a reverse layup, it was all so reactive and it made perfect sense in NBA 2K17. Like, I felt like when I went to the hoop on 2K17, I could choose whatever I wanted to do. You know what? I want to do a fancy, one of the special fancy dunks um, a player has, like use their dunk package. Um, Maybe I want to try to, say, like jump from the free throw line with Jordan or something like that. I know that pushing backwards on the joystick is going to, or like away from the basket with holding turbo, I know that I'm going to get that special dunk, right? That signature dunk in 2k17 but now when i push back on the joystick on nba 2k21 it puts me into a hop step a lot of the time um it will put me into a hop step dunk jump stop dunk all of this stuff it doesn't going to the hoop i like to go i like going let's put it this way i like going to the hoop far more on games like 2k17 2k16 2k15 um and even 2k19 as well because they didn't ruin going to the hoop in that game either so that's just uh, just a couple fine points on that so yeah joystick in the post most of the time unless i'm executing a drop step because that's a tap of the button and then i go up and then a button on the perimeter i mean that makes sense i i was shooting uh, perimeter jump shots uh, especially online with the with the stick uh it just felt easy to get the timing Again, might be psychological. I, I definitely like you, I, or I used to like using the stick in the paint because, as you say, you could pick the special dunk or the or finish to finish left or right. The problem with doing that now, as of two K twenty one, is that it also has the shot aiming on the stick if you have that setting enabled, of course. So if you do, you have to first push the stick. And we, we talked about this actually when I, we, we speculated upon it when it was first announced for two K twenty one, and it's I think, I think it's been our both of our opinions since then is that it's very contrived to have to push that direction on the stick, the right stick, to trigger the move you want, say a, a, a hop gather or something like that, but then also then rotate the stick and get the aim right. That's what I don't like about 2K21, which is why I've become less reliant on the stick. But 2K17, you know, we, we talked about the, the worst. Um, as far as the best mechanics, I really did like 2K17, not just the, the right stick, uh, apart from the protected shots. It's, it's kind of one of those situations where a lot of the, a lot of the mechanics are right, but there's just that one annoying thing. We've, we've seen that in a lot of basketball games that there's that we yeah we, there's a, there's a lot we like, but then there's just the one thing that's wrong, and the next year fixes that problem but introduces another one. So it's it's kind of frustrating that there's never been that game that's it's all it's been perfect. But as far as the underlying input mechanics of shooting, 2K17 might be my favorite because of it, it it used the stick aiming very well. It didn't have the problems of 2K21, didn't have the problems of Elite 11 being able to do uh, trigger hook shots from three-point range. So uh, so I think 2K17 is, is, is my favorite. I also liked it for free throw shooting as well, being able to aim with the stick much more than 
Uh, anything I was about to ask you about free throws. I was about to ask you what you use the button or the stick. Uh, for two, for two K seventeen, I, I often use the stick. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was using whenever I was using the stick to shoot jump shots as well in in those games. I, I probably probably most of the time did also use them for for free throws as well. I am still a big fan of the team eater and some of the similar concepts that other games have had over the years. The old school approach, but I, I really did like two K seventeen. Two K seventeen might be my probably my pick for the best overall shooting mechanics with the downside of the protected shots that that that's my biggest drawback with 2k17 that's the same with me it's it's as far as overall shooting mechanics that one wins but the protected shots is the is the is the problem as far as free throws for me i use the button and my brother nick uses the joystick hmm. and that's basically and we at the end of the season we're usually roughly around the same percentage um it's whatever, but, it's whatever works it's, it's kind of like shooting in real life if you may have an, an an orthodox form, but it, as long as it works for you, <laughs> as long as you're making the shots, it's. Uh, yeah, I always, I, I couldn't stand the NBA live free throw mechanics over the last few years. The, over uh, the last. The hold, hold and hold and basically just the jump shot mechanics. Yeah, it just looks weird. It's it, it's missing the authenticity. They don't mm. shoot like themselves, and it's robotic. Even if you shoot it right, it's very robotic. It just doesn't. Well, they need to move beyond that. It just needs to be a fluid one button push and timing. That's basically what it needs to be. Um, I think oh, they. Oh, you're the talking about the, like the up down, the the up down movement of the right stick when they had the right stick shooting for for a couple of years there. Because I, I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that too. I, um, I didn't like that. I mean, I I prefer the team meter to that. The old your old team meter back in the day. I would take that over right. the, the over the right the stick meter. Which 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 did you like better, the team meter or the arrows on NBA 2K for the early ones? Uh, team the, meter. Actually, the. Dragon. the the, the the one I like best, I think, was probably the one they used from 2004 to 06 on PC, where it had the it was the team meter was on the backboard going across the two bars going back and across, and you had to in, intersect them across the the make zone in the middle of the backboard. That's that's probably my best. That's probably my favorite uh, version of the team meter. I like it uh, as far as functionality, but aesthetically, I can see why they got rid of it. Yeah, seeing yeah. that like on the backboard and whatnot, where they're trying to shoot for realism and whatnot in the newer games. But yeah, I think that was functionally good. I couldn't stand the bumpers. I couldn't stand the early 2K bumper arrow. Mm. You don't have to like move them into the center in order to shoot it. Um, it always seemed mechanically flawed. And yeah, I mean, it is funny to think about what they did with those old games. But what's, you know, the team meter goes way back. It, it does. Uh, I, Most I games of the day, that they either had that or they'd be like... Uh, I'm thinking of like NCAA basketball, super dunk shot. World League basketball had the uh, the rim going back and forth, and you had to line it up with the actual rim, stuff like that. It was it was kind of that's how you'd shoot free throws. That was kind of cool too. I want to say that NBA Showdown also had the team meter. Um, it was either NBA Showdown or Bulls versus Blazers. Yeah, lot, 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 the EA games brought in the team meter very early on. That just yeah. the uh, yeah, so it, it was it was effective. The other thing is, of course, the connection between timing and animations and 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 before they brought in the meters and and the meter timing in 2k15 that was free throws were always very difficult because especially if you were shooting with somebody like a Shaq or a bill cartwright that have a very unorthodox long wind up uh getting the timing on that you really had to know uh so so that 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 you had to know the animation so that is something i think they have made easier if nothing else whether it's better or not maybe a matter of opinion but i, I think the, the current method of, of shooting free throws in 2K, I do like, as far as just pressing the button. it's uh, I think it's easier to time 
uh, well, now that they've removed the Rumble on online, who knows? But I, I do so, like it that way. Speaking of, speaking of free throws, listen, 2K, you got to fix – you ruined Larry Bird and Magic Johnson's free, throws, free throw forms and Wilt Chamberlain. All of these guys now shoot nothing like themselves from the free throw line. You guys got to fix that. Like they, what they did is, I think they removed those animations in order to put new ones in, and now a bunch of the classic players have incorrect, wildly incorrect mm. shooting forms from the perimeter um, and from the free throw line. Like they're shooting nothing like themselves. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. You guys got to fix that. No, it, well, we've talked about those animations before not being, and, and yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right that they have removed them to, uh, to add new ones or or whatever, and it's uh, <laughs> substituted ones that are, are not uh, not suitable. As far as other changes that are that didn't pan out, uh, I mentioned Live 07 separating the buttons before, and I I'd li- I liked the two shooting buttons at the time for for the for the games that did it before that. It's hard for me to defend because I don't think it was the right way to go ultimately, but it worked out well enough. But I do think having the one shoot button, being able to modify it either with the or having the the pro stick, having the right stick to do additional moves, or modifying it with uh, with sprint to be able to dunk instead of having a, a dunk button, I think worked out uh, worked out better in the long run. Uh, Live 07 separating into three buttons was definitely overkill. That was kind of the the end of that being a good idea. And, and also another one, Live 08 for 360 and PS3, and I believe NCAA Basketball 09 because it was kind of based on 08 rather than. Um, March Madness, so uh, March Madness '08 was more was, was similar to Live '07 on uh, the 360, but March Madness '09, NCAA Basketball '09, and NBA Live '08, they they removed timing from shooting, so you basically it wouldn't matter when you released it. It was all down to ratings, and I think that and '07's move to the three buttons are probably two of the uh, two of the worst changes or changes that just didn't pan out for NBA Live. That that, that was the wrong way to go. And you just mentioned what I hate about real player percentage. Mm. It's, it's the same it. thing, yeah. That's exactly right, because timing is thrown out the window, and it doesn't matter when you release it, so it takes that skill part out. Um, it's basically just when you shoot the ball, it's it, it goes by your ratings, and if your defender is close to you, the percentage will go down, the percentage chance of hitting it, but it throws your timing completely out the window, which means on real player percentage, if I take a shot and I shoot it on the way down where I'm almost landing, it's the same as if I release it at the optimal release point. Mm. And if I flick it, it's the same as well. That's, my, that's why I can't stand real player percentage. Same with layups on games with time layups. If you're using real player percentage on layups, you could, you could jump in the air, adjust your shot, and it doesn't matter when you release it. It's going by, uh, it's going by a percentage. And I think that um, I think that that's a it, that, that's why I can't do it. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody who uses real player percentage. Like if that's the way you want to play, that's fine. But it takes that skill out, the timing skill. It completely removes it. it it's what so, I, it's what I don't like about it as well. And another point is is also how how it's balanced because a change that's been made in two K twenty and it's so still there in two K twenty one is that the CPU shoots using uh, uh, timing now. It, it used to the, the CPU used to up until 2K20 used real percent. So now the, the, the CPU can shoot as we do. The problem is the, the CPU, uh, an AI, can be much more precise and and reward itself with <laughs> green releases whenever it wants. And I, I think some of the CPU shooting in 2K20 and especially 2K21 
feels unbalanced. It always feels that the CPU can shoot so much better because it, it can give itself that great timing whenever it wants. And, and, and we're getting in the good zone and missing, getting in outside the, the meter and, and the, the make zone and still, and still missing. Or making, rather. We're making in the times we should miss and missing in times we really should make it. But having the shooting mechanics for the user balanced with what the CPU can do is so important. And you go back to the early days of basketball gaming and you would see the CPU knocking down mid-range shots with ease and you'd be timing it correctly, as, as we said, and missing those shots. And, and even up until the early, uh, early 2010s with a 2K13-14, you would have the flash underneath the player indicator to indicate the precise timing, which would help a little bit. But again, you would get that perfect release and still miss multiple shots in a row while the CPU is making those shots. So having the balance, like anything in a basketball game, the balance of uh, offense and defense and user versus CPU is so important because it feels like I'm doing everything right and missing. I'm doing everything right to defend the CPU and they're making. You, you feel more frustration then than anything else. And the game ends up unbalanced. Yeah, exactly. I think that we talked about this with game, with modes like my team and everything. I think that one of the most frustrating things for a gamer who does play against the CPU is feeling like, you know, the whole Michael, the whole anything you can do, I can do better situation where yeah, it feels definitely. like the CPU is always um, able to do a lot, uh, a lot more than what you can do on the court and hit shots that you could never even dream of timing or hitting and whatnot. So yeah, I definitely think that there's an imbalance. I did want to bring this up though, before we end this discussion, what do you think of time layups? Do you think that time layups, did you, did you notice a big difference when you, when time layups weren't there? Do you think that time layups works properly today? I don't because we've, we've already, yeah, used examples. I, I think it, it's, it's good. I mean, it, or it can work. I don't think it does currently in 2K21. I think it's absolutely a mistake in playgrounds. I think too many dunks and and timing on dunks is absolutely out. And we've seen that in playgrounds that you miss too many dunks. I agree. In you shouldn't have. I agree with that. That doesn't. I, I. I'm not sure. I agree with that. Although you do see issues where dunks are missed a little bit too often at times. Yeah. In video games, so sometimes it would be nice to have that control. But yeah, I think I think probably timing dunks should be out. And, and certainly, I mean, it's been certainly in an arcade game. I mean, that's my big thing with Playgrounds is that it, it has kind of sim mechanics in an arcade game. We did a whole episode on that. You can go back and uh, and listen to that and um, our discussion on, on Playgrounds. But that, that is my main problem with Playgrounds is that the shooting feels like it's going for sim in an arcade game and there isn't that balance and the ratings aren't uh, wide enough or only only a certain window of ratings is actually useful. Anyway, all of the discussion. But yeah, timing on, on dunks, no. Timing on layups, Yes, if it's done properly. In 2K21, it doesn't feel like it is done properly. Uh, 19 and 20, better. But the other problem is other mechanics, and this goes back to what we said before, that all mechanics can sound fine in a vacuum, but when they start coming together, if there's a problem with one, then it's a domino effect. And with 2K19, 20, 21 especially, the Intimidator badge and those defensive badges that add those boosts so that you can easily make, make your opponents easily miss layups, even with good timing. Unless it's, green, unless it's a green release, you can really drop the percentages of layups to the point of... And, and NBA players do miss layups, sometimes embarrassingly, sometimes because of great defense. You know, we, we see that. But the, the ratio is still off in a lot of these games. And with those badges being such great boosts, especially online, you give yourself uh, a Hall of Fame Intimidator badge then you can just make people miss layups left and right that most players would still be making in the, in the NBA. So that is the problem with, with layup timing and, and layup um, 
uh, percentages in general is that there's these other mechanics on the defensive end that are too much of a counterpunch, too strong of a counterpunch. So again, it's, it's all the mechanics have to be working together in harmony to have that balance uh, and to have that realistic... That is important. Realism is important because it is a sim game. But just making the user feel like their input mattered because you get into the paint, you, you make a great drive, you have a really well-timed layup and it misses horribly and because of these defensive badges. You don't feel rewarded, it doesn't feel fun. The balance between realism and fun, as we've talked about before, and as they were supposedly focusing on in 2K21, and I don't think they quite hit that right balance, unfortunately. But that is my problem with timed layups. But uh, but how do you feel? Well, first off, you know how I feel about all these artificial boosts. Mm. Yeah, that not, are, not good. <laughs> yeah, that are, that are hurting the online gameplay and offline gameplay. Um, as far as time layups go, like I said, I, I definitely believe that time layups should be a thing. Um, I think that it makes sense. I, I don't think that you should, uh, I think you should have to time it, um, but the animations have to make sense and work out the right way in order to make timing make sense itself, if that makes sense. You know, if, if I drive into the hoop to get and my player, the way he interacts with a defender coming over, well, you know, whether he's bodying up in the air or whatnot, that animation that plays out needs to make sense in order for me to be able to time the layup um, or at least attempt to time it properly. And I think that with layups, um, almost maybe a little bit more leniency needs to be made as far as maybe the meter is bigger or maybe um, you have a better chance of hitting it when it's a little bit outside of the meter because how, you know, because you're so close to the hoop and whatnot. Reflecting the difficulty of the shot, basically, the percentages and difficulty of the shot. Right, exactly. And I think that, you know, defense needs to factor in that way as far as if you drive it into three people, um, which how often does that happen in today's NBA? Um, Rarely, uh, because everybody's outside the paint. But if you drive it into, say, three people as opposed to one person and it's just a really difficult shot, um, you your chances of it going in and timing it uh, appropriately are just drop dramatically because that was not a good drive. And yes, ratings need to come in at that point. If you're driving with a guy like Jordan, um, as opposed to driving with a guy like Tomas Sadoransky, who plays for the Bulls, uh, you better have a much higher chance of hitting that layup on multiple defenders than you do with um, Sadoransky. So the right balance needs to be achieved, but I definitely like the idea of, of time layups. I think it makes sense. And as, as far as the, uh, the CPU is concerned, again, that balance is so important. Like you said, the uh, anything uh, you can do, I can do better when it's very unbalanced. And and the pet peeve that I have to this day is when the CPU gets hold of a poor free throw shooter and just can knock down free throw after free throw. When the CPU can just knock down free throws with Shaq, and I, I know, as Shaq said, you know, he, <laughs> as you like to claim, that you know he made him when they when he needed to, made him when they counted. Uh, but the CPU has always been so much better at free throws with bad free throw shooters that it's just one of those things that's always felt very false about uh, the, the challenge in, in uh, basketball games, live and 2K for that matter. Actually, I can agree with pretty um, much pretty much any basketball game. It's one of those things that the CPU is always better at free throws than they should be with poor free throw shooters. Yeah. I think they have a better balance with the free throw shooting. At least I know when Andre Drummond goes up to the line um, that he has a chance of missing one of two. Mm. I, I think that um, I think playing my team and I only did it for a short time because of this. It was just such a turnoff. I, I mean, I was winning games like I had told you. Um, I think I even sent you screenshots of that. But at the same time. You know, I was missing completely wide open shots 
uh, with a correct release, and the computer was just running down the floor and hitting contested threes from like thirty feet. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it doesn't like feel right. You, you, yeah. Feet. Yeah, and and they're hitting shots contested in the mid range with me draped all over them. That you know, as a user, your chances of making those shots are slim to none. Exactly, and they're just yeah. in those shots. The reason I was winning those games, and I told you about this, was because I was like, you know what, the game is close. We're down to the wire. I'm just going to run wide on the baseline and just keep drive scoring. And dunk. To win yep, that's that's what yeah, I mean. exactly. I was going to drive and dunk. I'm going to go wide on the fast break. I'm going to go wide in the half court, and I'm just going to keep scoring. And that's how I was winning games. It, it feels false. It feels that that is the problem with that. But as we wrap up, if we're talking about the best and the worst, we've we've talked about the different uh, different styles, lots of different ways they've done it. It's it's come down to the standard hold and release of the shoot button tap to to fake of course and some advanced controls with pro sticks and modifiers and whatnot if you had to pick the best and the worst games or some couple of the best couple of the worst uh, shooting mechanics uh, what would be your picks i'd say that the best shooting mechanics outside of protected shots is nba 2k17 um i would say that the mechanics shooting the shooting mechanics for 2k14 2k15 2k16 and 2k17 overall which includes shots on the move um, you know, fadeaways, uh, shooting straight up, um, how it felt going to the rim, all of that stuff, you know, stick use um, combined with button use and everything. I'd say that those uh, those games are my favorite um, of all time. I, I want to do, though, a shout-out to NBA 2K11 and 2K12, because I also think, and 2K13, and 2K14 for the PC, because those are part of that similar motion system. Um, it's a related motion system to what we got from 2K14 to 2K17, and the shooting is very good on those games as well. If I had to say the worst, um, I'm going to be completely honest, and this is something that might surprise people because I've been talking up 2K19, those roster mods and whatnot for that. I think um, I think 2K19 is actually one of the worst for mm. shooting mechanics, and it's because every shot just feels completely rushed. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's a flow. Uh, it feels like finding the optimal re- release point is more of a flick and guess with shooting, um, like a quick flick of the button or a quick flick of the joystick and a guess. Um, I think that that game has a lot of great qualities. The best quality in NBA 2K19 is its defense. I want to say um, very sound rotationally. Um, the defense makes a lot of sense. The animations are beautiful in that game overall, other than some of the skating issues and whatnot. But the shooting is, I'd say, on last gen. 2K18 had slightly better shooting than 2K19, and 2K20 is possibly slightly a little bit better from the shooting mechanic standpoint than 2K20. I mean, than 2K19. So, yeah, I'd say 2K19 is. It's not the worst of all time. But as far as one of the more recent games, I think that it's probably one of the most frustrating. And balance and tuning comes into effect, especially in modes where you can't change the sliders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And by the way, I want to point something out. Shots on the move in 2K19, they feel all right. You know, shooting fadeaways, I mean, as far as, like, how mechanically it works with the button and how the animation um, plays out, that's cool. Like, it, it looks all right. But I'm talking about how finding the release point doesn't make a lot of sense on that game and just the shots feel completely rushed. Now, if you go back and you look at games like 2K6 and 2K7 when they started putting signature shots in the games and everything, 
those games actually play shoot they shoot really well like i want people to own those game who own those games to go back and play and compare the shooting feels fun the shooting feels pretty awesome um you know and that's well over a decade ago uh you know and then if you go back even further and you go back to games like nba live 2004 and 2003 um in 2005 and whatnot no they didn't have the signature shots but overall you know the sh- the shots didn't feel bad like it felt it's, it felt somewhat okay to shoot the ball but um uh, I think I think those games though are drastically underappreciated from a shooting standpoint as far as like those mid two thousands two K games. I, I think and for, for live, I do like those games as well, with the exception of oh eight, uh, not having the the timing at all. That's probably one of the uh, one of the worst uh, ideas. Or the mechanics feel fine as far as hold and release. It's it is just that lack of timing as far as the the dice roll and whatnot. Yeah, I, I do think those games from the early mid two thousands they definitely feel all right. It's just that there is that uh, annoyance of of not always getting the result you feel you uh, you should uh, as far as uh, my best uh, I, I would agree kind of that 2k 15 to 17 uh, and, and 17 apart from the protected shots being my favorite i'd also say live 16 because of the mechanics we talked about uh, even live 18 i thought was was pretty good uh, as far as the the worst i will say uh, 2k 18 for the nerfed good release that just conceptually it felt fine to you know, mechanically fine, but the, the, the results just weren't right. Uh, I'll say All-Star Challenge because of the double press just, I, I don't think it holds up as well. I, I, I played that game much later than you did. I didn't grow up with it. I played it later. I do, I can have fun with it, but I do think it is kind of a flawed system. Uh, kids sports basketball is one of the worst basketball games ever made in general, but it also has the worst shooting mechanics. Uh, Live 07 for its multiple button presses, and also on, on 360, that hitch, on all the jump shots in the 360 version of 07 is, is pretty bad. And uh, and I, I would say Live 19, especially post-patch, simply for the way the mechanics just don't work altogether. Uh, so those would be my best and worst. What's funny is that you know, on Live 19, I complimented the shooting during the demo. Mm. <laughs> I thought the shooting... It didn't last good. the year, unfortunately. Yeah, they patched it. Um, but as far as like the demo goes, I felt like the shooting made a lot of sense on NBA Live 19. And the shots on the move looked and felt really good overall and then like we had talked about they patched it made the players feel heavier the shot started making not making as much sense um the timing didn't make sense like it did during the demo etc and and again i mean shooting is the core aspect of of playing basketball and therefore virtual basketball so it it is imperative that whatever game you were talking about gets it right from for everything the, the input the results every part of the mechanics and of course the defensive mechanics too and the balance uh if if shooting is off then the game just doesn't feel right and it's if you can't score you know in a way that feels satisfying and as uh from a strategic and uh, mechanical input sense that is that is not going to be a fun basketball game yeah exactly and i i do want to make a point again nba players and i said this on several you know i'm talking about the nba portion of the game i said this on several podcasts before NBA players make guarded shots. NBA players make shots constantly with players right in front of them. And I think one of the biggest things to balance, and I feel bad for the developers on this, um, as far as trying to, you know, really trying to find that right balance, is to be able to make it play like the guys can do it in real life. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, if it, how often, and Shady Mike Gaming actually said something about this as well, how often can you perform 
at the same level hitting guarded shots that C.J. McCollum does in real life. Like, if you're using C.J. McCollum in the video game, and C.J. McCollum in real life is hitting shots with hands in his face constantly, so is Devin Booker. How often can you use those guys in that capacity in the video game? Zero. Like, you can't use them like that because the game doesn't allow it because of the way defense affects shooting in the video game. And I understand that they need to balance online. They, they, they're trying to find the right balance for online play. Um, but I do think that, that the, the, them trying to find that balance for online play and trying to create more of that skill gap on online play also impacts that offline NBA portion of the game. It definitely does, and it's to that end it is an ongoing, uh, ongoing experiment, ongoing effort to, uh, to get it right, and uh, hopefully they do, because obviously if you can't shoot the basketball properly, it's not a very fun game. But uh, yeah, fun, fun to look back at the ver- various uh, shooting mechanics they've had over the years evolution as we've said up and down and they've tried things here and there and it's never quite been a perfect one but definitely some interesting ones and uh hopefully they can uh, get hit the right results and balance moving forward but uh, as we move forward derek uh it has come time to our uh, do our favorite part of the show which is the uh the mailbag no dad thanks for the uh questions that you've submitted uh i want to say that you know a week or so ago we had eight to ten in the pipeline so it, i really appreciate all the questions and all the interactions with the show Time to stock up again, of course. Uh, I did forget to put out a, a call this week, but we do have a few left in the bag to uh, to get over. Of course, you can submit them anywhere. You can get in touch with us, either on social media, in the forum, comments section, on the uh, on the podcast itself, as we post it on the site. And, of course, podcast at nba-live.com. Hit us up in any of those places, and we will put your, your uh, topic suggestions and questions in the mailbag and read them out and talk about them in this very segment. And with that being said, we're going to start out, as we said at the top of the show, talking a bit about Space Jam or rather the Space Jam a sequel that is coming out later this year. This is from uh, Past Gen Sports Gaming on Instagram. Shout out to you once again. Uh, but yeah, ask about our thoughts on the long-delayed Space Jam sequel, which is uh, Space Jam A New Legacy. Uh, what is our level of excitement slash dread for it? Um, <laughs> I like the uh, like phrasing it that way. Uh, how do you envision a presumably lighthearted cartoon type of movie uh, turning out with such a, uh, and this is uh, his words, uh, joyless, for lack of a better word, uh, person like LeBron? in the lead role uh how different is it from the original and what direction uh what supporting cast could possibly reprise the roles of players of barkley mugsy and bradley who famously lost their schools in the original uh it's over 20 years later and this just feels like a much different world in nba than it was in 1986 uh message of the original space champ can be summed up in uh, believe in yourself and what will the ultimate message be of uh the sequel uh, considering who's involved with it uh what is it going to touch on as far as social issues or or what message is it going to have and once again how excited or how much do we dread it the actual plot of the movie, there is a, a synopsis on uh, Wikipedia, which I, which I looked up, Derek, and the premise of uh, Space Jam A New Legacy, or Space Jam 2, is that, uh, and I quote, when basketball champion and global icon LeBron James and his young son, uh, young son Bronny, uh, who dreams of being a video game developer, are trapped in a virtual space by a rogue algorithm named uh, Algae Rhythm, there we go, very punny there, uh, LeBron must get them home safe by leading Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Lola Bunny, and the whole gang of notoriously undisciplined Looney Tunes to victory over uh, Algae's digitized champions on the court. So basically, uh, this time, LeBron and his son get caught in a uh, in a virtual world and with the Looney Tunes and have to win the game to get their way home. So it's, it's, it's not a complete rehash of the original, but it's obviously a very similar plot as far as them being stuck in a... not in the real world and having to win this game to uh, secure freedom for themselves and others. Uh, yeah, so that's the plot. Uh, we, and um, yeah, so with that being said, uh, your thoughts. 
I mean, obviously there's going to be some political stuff thrown in there. I can only imagine there's certain, you know, messages they're going to try to get out and everything, uh, you know, especially in this day and age. So I, I, I want to say, I, I mean, I'm not surprised by the plot. They have to go into a fantasy world. I mean, they're playing basketball with Looney Tunes. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, unless, you're Roger, unless you're going to Roger Rabbit it and go the other way, because that was the thing about the original Space Jam was kind of like the reverse uh, Roger Rabbit going into the cartoon. Well, well you do Roger Rabbit as well, but all, all, in the, all in the cartoon world as opposed to cartoons in the real world. So, yeah. That's gonna... a great, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit's a great movie. It is, yeah. Too. I want to point that out. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not going to watch it. It doesn't do anything for me. I think certain movies should be left in the past, and that's one of them. Uh, I think that the original was so well done, uh, and it's such an iconic movie. I, I just think that, yeah, I, it, it doesn't excite me at all. I think uh, I do agree with him also. Um, as far as LeBron goes, uh, I think Jordan had hinted that if they ever redid it again, he thought Blake Griffin would be a good choice. Um, hmm. I think there's an article out there about that. I don't, I, I don't know about Blake Griffin. I think Steph Curry would have been really cool uh, if they were going to do something like that. But no matter who they use as a head person, I, I just don't see it. Are people going to get as excited about it and actually go see it like they did in the early 90s? I'm not 100% sure either. I don't know if, like, what do you think? What do you think people's reaction is going to be to this? Do you think that is it's going to be a box office success? Uh, I want to use an example, too, before we go on. Not that it's the same type of movie. How successful was Uncle Drew? Mm, yeah. it's. I, think about that. I, which I, I, didn't, I didn't see, so I can't comment on it. But, yeah, it, it's not really talked about even, like, a cult classic. Nobody talks about Uncle Drew. No. Everybody was talking about like a movie like Space Jam back then, and I'm not saying that Uncle Drew is the same because obviously they weren't playing in cartoon with cartoon characters, but it was a um, it was basically just this supposed to be this fun fun romp, yeah, uh, with NBA players in it. Uh, Shaq was in it as well, uh, you know, stars from the current game like Kyrie Irving, obviously, etc. And it didn't catch on. So when I think about um, a movie like Space Jam Two. And even though it has LeBron in it and not Kyrie Irving and LeBron's obviously been made into like this, you know, is a bigger name and whatnot. Do, do I think that it's going to catch on like the original? No, even at the height of social media and height of access, I just don't see it getting close to um, the popularity that the original space. As a, as a concept, I, I do think it is very nineties. It worked then. I, I don't think it does work now. Uh, it's obviously treading very familiar ground. I mean, they've changed it up with with it also co-starring uh, somebody who is going to be playing LeBron's son, Bronny, not actually Bronny himself. Um, so they've changed it up in that way, and, and, and the scenario is slightly different, but it, it comes down to the same thing. And, and you look at movies like, like the Hangover movies, where people felt that the, the sequels were basically the first movie again. And that's the whole thing. When, when people talk about sequels, does it continue the story, or is it basically just rehashing the first one with, uh, or, or in this case, different characters? So that is that is the big problem as a sequel that it's that it's kind of unnecessary and, and treading familiar ground. I, I think I mean, not everybody is a fan of Space Jam, and some people felt. I mean, it was critical. It was mixed reaction uh, as as a movie like that is going to be, and, and some people certainly did bash it and have bashed it over these. But it, but our generation is very nostalgic for it, and I think rightfully so. But it is, yeah, as you said, very much a product of its time. I, I don't think it's going to resonate the same. You know, to you to answer your question, I don't think it's going to resonate the same today. I, I, the, the messages and everything, and, and what it's supposed to achieve, 
you know, the big thing about Space Jam is that it poked fun at Michael Jordan. As, as much as it was as it was celebrating Michael Jordan as and, and holding him up as, as as an icon in basketball, it was also making fun of his his baseball career and kind of putting a spin of, you know, the real reason he came back was because he played a game with the Looney Tunes and decided that he wanted to come back to basketball. So it was uh, it was poking fun at his baseball career and, and, and all that kind of stuff. If this is just going to be celebrating LeBron and not, and not really poking fun or anything like that, I, I think it's going to be, going to be, it's not going to have that same good natured ribbing or that same kind of, I, I don't know it. If, if it's just going to be another thing to prop up LeBron, well, Nick Wright will love it. He'll probably talk about how it's a much better film than the first. But um, I, I, I do think it's going to be missing that same kind of same kind of heart, that same kind of innocence and appeal that the original had. Um, I don't think they're going to get too political with it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I, it's I, what, they better not use any of the songs from the original soundtrack. I'll tell you that. Like, if, if, if the soundtrack is not going to be able to compete. Uh, oh, as no. far as like, like an emotional attachment standpoint. No, no. As no. far as, like, yeah. uh, I imagine, uh, it's, I imagine I, it's going to be different. I, I think, I think, yeah, it's a it's a movie that doesn't need to be made. It and not because I'm not, you know, I, I joked about it before and in articles and said, you know, you, you don't you don't touch Gone with the Wind, you don't touch Space Jam, and I, I say it facetiously, although Space Jam is probably more my jam than, uh, than Gone with the Wind, but it, it's it's an unnecessary sequel. Basically, it's it's many years too late. It's, it's look it's fine i mean look i'm not going to say you, how dare you make it it's it's terrible in that and look let let the new generation have their space jam don't get me wrong i'm not going to say that things that i sh- don't want things that i don't want to be or not interested in shouldn't be made I, i'm very much against that way of thinking but with that being said it is in all in all um, all things considered an unnecessary sequel but since they've gone ahead and made it yeah i i too will, will uh I, i'm not looking forward to it i, I don't think it's going to be for us Will I check it out at some point, even if just to see what it's all about? I, I won't say that I will absolutely never watch it, because who knows, if it's there on Netflix or whatever, maybe. But I, I'll certainly not be going out of my way to watch it. It's uh, it's not for me, it's for a, a younger generation, and, and that's fine. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I'm... I, I have no excitement for it, I, I'm not looking forward to it, uh, no interest in it. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, trying to get that... It's it's kind of like a movie like, like Home Alone. I don't think Home Alone works these days because it's very much a product of its time. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Great movies, but can they be done today? Eh. I mean, they, they relied very much on the way the world was at the time. You know, with, with the internet, cell phones, and whatever, Home Alone is over in 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> so these days. Right. So there, there are some things that you can try and remake them, but they, they belong to a very specific period in uh, in history. Yeah, I, I'll leave it's it. not about I mean, if Dominique Wilkins starred in the movie, I'd be saying the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not, it's not just a, it's not like, it's not like a Jordan thing. Like, it's yeah. like if Dominique Wilkins was, was, was the star or Kim Olajuwon or something. I, I did want to answer the other part of the question, too, where he said, what NBA players will be in it? This is who's been announced. Um, Anthony Davis. Big surprise there. Uh, Diana Taurasi. Damian Lillard. Clay Thompson. Chris Paul, Patrick Ewing. I'm not sure what role he's going to play. He might be the head guy, you know, like the, like he, he's probably going to be like, uh, yeah, I don't know what role he's going to play. I'd have to look it up. Um, there's uh, Draymond Green. I'm seeing Cole Kuzma, Nenekwa, Agwumike, and Chinese Agwumike. That's what I'm seeing is announced, and I think 
and yeah, Clay Thompson's in it too. So those are the those are the names that I'm finding that that were announced. I think Greek Freak turned down being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they asked him and he turned it down. Um, but yeah, those, those are the names, and none of those are surprising to me. I don't know who the the Agua Mike ladies uh, are. I'm gonna tw- have to twins that playing up. in the WNBA. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that, I didn't, I yeah. didn't even know who they were. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, how, how are you going to top Anthony Miller's delivery about bacteria? The line of his line about bacteria spreading quickly. Anthony Pig Miller. I mean, the man was robbed of an Oscar, quite frankly. Jesus. Um, listen, <laughs> I, I just want to point. I just want to point something out. Um, on the point that you made that the release that yeah release it fine but it is it is still okay to say that you it is okay to say that the 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 concept wouldn't work as well today like that's completely that's completely different than somebody saying um this could benefit every you know this 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 will benefit everybody that that the release of that movie i think it's it's way past its it's it's way past its time and you don't mess with an original right you don't mess with an iconic classic like the um like the original space jam that's just my take on it they can release it that's perfectly fine it's just it's not something that i see that's needed um i'm not seeing people beg for it either like want it uh it's something that's been in the works for several years and i don't think that it's going to catch on that's just my opinion I'm inclined to agree. Don, Don Cheadle is uh, Algie Rhythm, the, the villain of the movie. Uh, Don Cheadle's great. So you know, they've got some good casting there, and it's. It, I think it'll appeal to the people it appeals to. Kind of like the original, maybe not to the same extent, but my, my thing is, look, I have a lot of nostalgia for the 90s, obviously. I do think that it, as a decade, it gets bashed, not just from a basketball standpoint, from a lot of things that uh, people are like, oh, look at that, it's out of date. Like, yeah, give it, give it another 20 years, and so will the 2020s and 2010s. But uh, there are some things that I, I think uh, were appropriate at the time, and can can be left in the nineties, and and that is definitely one of them. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I think it's safe to say that it's not going to be for us. Where uh, it's I don't think I think we have. I, I wouldn't say I'm dreading it because I, I, it's it doesn't really upset me or that I'm not. I have no expectations. I have no interest in it, so I can't really dread it. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be there, and people are going to watch it. But uh, I don't think I'll be one of them. Yeah, same here. And thanks for the question, though, because I had a feeling that was going to come up at some point. And stay tuned for this week's uh, coming way back Wednesday, where I'll be talking about Space Jam, the uh, the game. The final question we have this week is uh, another hypothetical for us, which is always fun to do. This is based on, of course, Lady Culture threw out one uh, to us a few weeks back that we answered. This uh, shout out to Albert on Facebook, uh, who enjoyed that discussion and uh, gave us a uh, hypothetical as well. Also talking about fantasy roster scenarios of, uh, of his own that he's uh, throwing out there for us. Uh, he's a lifelong Sixers fan, an Al Iverson fan. Uh, spent a lot of time thinking about how things could have gone differently, how the Sixers could have gotten more out of Iverson's prime, uh, what would have happened if he never left the Sixers in 2006, of course, when he went to the uh, Denver Nuggets. So in the, in the scenario that he's come up with, Derek, uh, it's, it's uh, this lineup that he's uh, for the 2005 season. Uh, the scenario starts out thusly. Uh, the 76ers draft local star Jimmy Nelson, putting Iverson back around the shooting guard, back at the shooting guard spot rather than the point. They also sign Theo Ratliff and Jerome Williams, the old junkyard dog there. Uh, they still make the Chris Webber for Kenny Thomas trade, but also bring in Jason Williams instead of letting the Heat get him in free agency, pairing up a more matured Williams with Webber again. So this means that there's a starting lineup of Jason Williams and Allen Iverson in the backcourt, uh, Iguodala and Chris Webber in the frontcourt, and Dallin Bear in the middle. Bench includes uh, Kyle Korver, Aaron McKee, Lou Williams, Theo Ratliff, and Jerome Williams. 
again, this is as of the uh, 2000, uh, 2004, 2005 uh, season. Uh, Basically, so that's the uh, the scenario he's come up with. Can we think of a better one? Is there a better big man to pair him with in this era than Weber? And yeah, what what do we think of that uh, fantasy lineup? Well, there's a couple of things I like about this. First off, people don't understand how talented that 0506 Sixers team was that missed the playoffs. Uh, they they had Iverson, Kyle Korver, Andre Iguodala, Chris Weber, Sam Dallenbear, Lou Williams on the bench, John Salmon's on the bench, Matt Barnes on the bench. Um, they were a very talented team. They were just too young. And at the same time, um, so many of the pieces were too young, like Corver, Iguodala, Salmons, uh, Lou Williams, etc. Salmon, Salmons, I'm just gonna say Salmons. Um, and Chris Weber was also past his prime at that point, even though he averaged roughly like 20 and nine or something like that, that season. Uh, so no, I love that question. I'm obviously a big Jason Williams guy too, and he was such a big part of that 0506, that 2006 championship for the Miami Heat. Uh, he was the starter. He played a big role, um, etc. Theo Ratliff. The funny thing that you bring up about that is he did play with Iverson, and then he and they were flowing. Like they were playing really well in 2000, 2001, when the um, before the trade. And it, Theo Ratliff and Kukoc were really key pieces to that 76ers team. And then the, 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 the trade for Matumbo happened because Theo Ratliff went down mm. with his injury and they needed a big man. So, um, yeah, I love the inclusion of Theo Ratliff there uh, reuniting with Iverson and whatnot. Um, as far as pairing him with a better big man at the time than Chris Webber, say at power forward, obviously you have the top guys in the league that you'd never be able to grab like Dirk and KG um, and whatnot. Uh, if we're talking about for like the 06, 07 season, I mean, Rashid Wallace was in better shape in his career as far as like a durable piece than Weber, I think. At well, that well this, is 2000, this is 2005. So, so uh, Rashid Wallace is, is fresh off a championship with the Pistons. Oh, okay. So it's not okay. So it's two thousand five. Is so it's supposed to be the oh five oh six season. Oh four oh five. Oh well, four oh five. Um, See, I mean, by that time you could possibly have moved Chris Webber back to center. Of course, he played a lot of center during his career. You could you could possibly move him back there and bring in another power forward, or or, or even maybe introduce some small ball, um, kind, of, kind of like a death you know, line of a death with uh, the, the Warriors had with Andre Iguodala years earlier. Um, that would have been possible still in the uh, the mid two thousands, but certainly if, if you had Chris Webber as uh, at centre, then you could bring in another uh, power forward. Yeah, you could, or you could bring in a guy. You could bring in a guy like Elton Brand if you could find a way to get him in there. Um, you'd, you'd probably have to give up like I, an Iguodala. You'd have to, to give up. That's the problem, right? He didn't mention Iguodala though on the roster. I don't think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's a, he's a starting ball. He did. Well, actually, well, Iguodala is a rookie then, so you'd be giving up the pick probably in two thousand four to, uh, right, to get exactly. Elton Brand. So yeah, it'd, it'd be uh, tough. Plus, Elton Brand, yeah. I'm pretty sure signed around about that time had signed a big new contract with the Clippers. So right, because he was at like twenty and ten at that point. Yeah, right? and he was like. Prime. Um, I, 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 it probably wouldn't be. I mean, that's a pretty stacked lineup as it is. So I, I think you kind of have to go with a Dallin Bear and Ratliff. Like I mean, that's a that's a lineup that can compete. I, I don't think you would actually have to bring in a bigger, a better big. I mean, you've got a pretty good rotation there. Throw Junkyard Dog, Theo Ratliff, um, Weber, Dallin Bear, Udala Corva. 
in in the front court there and, and on the wing. You, that's a pretty good rotation. I don't think you need to bring in someone, especially around that, around about that time. I mean, of course, you've got you still got Shaq with the Heat at the time, first year with the Heat, and you've still got some quality bigs. But you, you're past the the heyday, the, the golden era of bigs in the NBA by two thousand four, two thousand five. So I think you can definitely get away without having that um, uh, a super team <laughs> of a center as well, being being a star. You right. can definitely solid. Yeah, I still think it's important to have that that rim protector, like like somebody that's a body in there, and that's why I liked having Theo Radliff back on that team if he's healthy, like Kendrick Perkins for the 0708 Celtics, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Like having that that big body is important, especially in like you had mentioned, like Dallin Bear, um, like Theo Radliff, people that didn't rely on getting the ball. Um, they were defensive minded, defensive first players um, who had decent hands who would be able to be a drop down guy uh and whatnot and the occasional post up but they didn't need the ball and when you have guys like um alan iverson and and chris weber and you know even igudala and whatnot and junkyard dog when he comes in who's like who could be instant office offense just like corliss williamson was in his career uh you need those guys who don't require the ball so yeah, I see. I, I'm I'm upset that they didn't build more around Iverson in his career. To be completely honest with you, I I think that um, he had some very weak teams with the Sixers, and by the time he did land Weber and had that that bigger and better roster in oh five oh six, the uh, Weber was older, and then the other pieces were so young. So I think that much of Iverson's career was the success that he could have achieved he never got there because they didn't build around him correctly. So when we evaluate players, rings do matter. Rings absolutely do matter, especially when we're trying to separate the greats. But at the same time, you, you look at a player like Iverson and you, you can't really hold that lack of team success uh, against him because he did elevate what was at the time pretty much a perennial lottery team or, or had been since uh, uh, pretty much since Charles Barkley being traded to the Suns in 1992. So he, he did lead the 76ers to uh, the, the most success they'd had since the uh, the 80s, early 90s, basically. So always, it's always hard to call a Hall of Fame player underrated, but I think over the years, uh, Iverson has become, especially because of, as we've come to focus on efficiency and he wasn't the most efficient player, uh, people do uh, underrate his uh, offensive abilities uh, to that uh, to that point. But it is it is definitely a shame that he, he didn't have those better teams. One of those players that came along at a time when... Other teams were better when other teams. Uh, it, it was some. It was another star's time. Like you look at a lot of the players that probably would have won a championship or two if not for Michael Jordan, or it, and, and so forth. Or you know, in the in the sixties, how many <laughs> Jerry West being probably would have had two or three championships if not for the dominance of Russell's Celtics. And of course, happy birthday, happy eighty seventh birthday to Bill Russell, of course. Uh, Iverson again landing in Philadelphia, a lottery team. And uh, and not having those great team, not having a great team around him for so many years, except when it was kind of too late, um, and 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 yeah, and, and coming at a time yep. when it was when, when you know Kobe and Shaq with the Lakers and other other teams were, you know, you, you look at some of those plays, you, you just those come along at the wrong time, you know, in a sense, and I think that was Alan Iverson's uh, bad luck to be uh, on those teams when other teams were so much better and other stars were ruling the roost, uh, yeah, but but that is a great. Uh, you know, that, that's that's a fun what if scenario. That, that's a great uh, video game team to play with. In fact, oh. as you as you added them to the uh, Ultimate Classic Teams roster, 
uh, sorry for hogging the mic, <laughs> but uh, I mean, you added the 2006 76s to your roster because as as it is, they were a fun uh, video game team. But I think that's a fun video game too that uh, that Albert's put together here. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I'd like pairing Jason Williams and Allen Iverson makes me think of when the Knicks, you know, for a video game team, makes me think of when the Knicks paired Stephon Marbury and Steve Francis. That yes, is a definitely. Great video. Yeah, that <laughs> is real. Very much more uh, more a video game team than a real life thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It works out way better in a video game than it does in real life. But also, um, I did want to point out Iverson's. And, and I mentioned conference. The best teams that Iverson has had were with, was when he was with the Nuggets. When he had um, Carmelo Anthony uh, a few years, you know, he had already been in the league a few years. He had led the Nuggets to the playoffs in his rookie year, actually. Um, and they had Kenyon Martin, Marcus Camby, uh, J.R. Smith, uh, etc. in Nene. But he still, they still had issues. One year, Kenyon Martin was out basically the entire year. And then the other season, 07, you know, 07, 08, Nene was out. Um most of the year so like they still got hit with injuries and then they were also playing with in the western conference which at the time was by far the toughest conference and they were winning you know over the western conference teams were winning like 60 55 to 60 percent of the league's games and of course they get into the playoffs and boom they have to face kobe in the first round uh so yeah pretty wild it is. It comes down to timing, comes down to situation, unfortunately. And to that point, uh, Albert mentions uh, at the end here, uh, I don't think there's any realistic scenario Iverson wins an NBA championship with the Sixers. I think he's one of those players where that underdog's so close but not quite as part of his uh, lore and legacy uh, like a Stockton and Malone. Uh, but does this at least make for at least four or five years of playoff possible? And yeah, I think the 76ers uh, could have uh, would have at least been more uh, competitive with with a team like that. Um, and, and certainly then you look at maybe if Jason Williams isn't with the Heat, then he can't contribute to them. You know what? If if that team is together and healthy, maybe maybe they do. Maybe they do pull off an underdog run. Who knows? I mean, we, we entering the 2006 season, did anyone have the uh, the Mavericks and the Heat making their first uh, championship appearances? I mean, Smart Money was probably on the uh, Spurs and Pistons getting there again for uh, a third year. And, and as it was, I believe they both got to the conference finals, the Pistons did at least. So... Who knows? You, you, I mean, it's a what if scenario, but but yeah, who knows uh, if they'd been together and healthy? Stranger things have happened: injury, injury to somebody else, or an overachieving in a series. Iverson goes off and has a tremendous series. Maybe they get through the finals. Maybe they do win one. It's it's possible, but but certainly, it's, it's certainly, yeah. The Jason, Jason Kidd made two with those Nets teams. Yeah, that's that's why. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, and. and but I think I think that underdog reputation is I, I agree definitely part of Iverson's uh, legacy and law. Absolutely, and he's one of my favorite players of all time. So that's another reason why I appreciate the question. So thank you very much for those two questions this week. Uh, always love to do a hypothetical, and of course, uh, touch on um, nostalgia with Space Jam there, and again, of course, the NBA and the. Uh, mid to uh, early to mid uh, 2000s as well if you have a uh, mailbag topic suggestion or question uh, send it to us uh, as we said anyway you can get in touch with us through the forum through the comments uh, through email at podcast at mba-live.com through our social media channels anyway you can get in touch with us uh, that is you know we, we want to do the mailbag each and every week so hit us up absolutely we, we love the mailbag i love taking in the questions so um yeah keep them coming So that has brought us to the end of episode number 362 of the NLC podcast. We thank you for tuning in to a bit of a longer than usual episode this week. The podcast comes out every Sunday, of course, on the NLSC, which is mb-live.com. 
You can also find us on all the major podcast apps and platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, of course, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Search for the NLC Podcast, look for our logo, and that will be us. Or keep streaming on the NLSC, as long as you're tuning in and enjoying the show, that is the main thing. And of course, if you feel inclined, please leave us a uh, hopefully positive review over on Apple Podcasts. I mentioned our social media channels and whatnot, Derek, and it's uh, it's time to plug them. Absolutely. Um, definitely tune into Holding Court with D for Free. I will try to record an episode this week. Um, I'm on Twitter at D for 384, where I'm by far the most active. I'm on Instagram as D for Free, YouTube as D for Free, and on the NLSC as D for Free. As for me, as I said at the top of the show, I am Andrew on the NLSC forum. On Twitter, I am Andrew NLSC. The NLSC itself is on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are the NLSC. On Instagram, we are NLSC Basketball. YouTube is NBA Live Series Center. And once again, keep it locked to the NLSC itself, nba-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. But yes, that's all for this week, so thank you once again for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone. <laughs>